Well, we've already covered a lot of ground, and now it's time for the sermon. So buckle in, strap in, and get ready, because we're going to talk about how to have a great family. I couldn't think of a better sermon to give on Dedication Sunday than how to have a great family. And in our society and in our culture, there are a lot of things that are fighting against families that make it difficult to have a great family. And so, so many of us settle for average families because there's so many pressures, financial pressure, uh, social pressure, moral pressure. There's uh, time pressure. There's all these things that are waging war against having a great family that we settle for good families. Average families, mediocre families at best. But God doesn't want you to have a good, average, or mediocre family. God wants you to have a great family. But one thing that we're going to learn here today is this. If you want to have a great family, you need to fight for a great family. You need to fight for a great family. You need to fight for a great family. Everyone say fight. You need to fight for a great family. It will not happen unless you fight. As a matter of fact, in the book of Nehemiah, um, there's these refugees that came back to the city of Jerusalem, and they're rebuilding the city. And all of a sudden, an attack is going to happen. And this is what Nehemiah tells the people that are under attack. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, for your sons and for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. There are some things worth fighting for. And one thing you need to fight for is you need to fight for your family. And it is a fight. And I know what some of you are thinking, uh, Pastor, it's too late for my family. Uh, it's over, it's done, the kids are out of the house, it's too late. Some of you are thinking, uh, my family is what it is. At this point, it's not going to change. Let me tell you, it's not too late. It can always change. Don't give up. Fight for your family. It doesn't matter what stage you're in. Well, I, I, it's just me and my wife, we're empty nesters. It doesn't matter, you can still have a great family. All my kids are teenagers, you can still have a great family. <laughs> Whatever it is, I have adult kids. None of them live nearby. I have adult kids. They're like boomerangs. I throw them away and they keep coming back. It doesn't matter. You can have a great family if you'll fight for a great family. So I want to look at quickly here this morning are four biblical things that families do. Now, every family ought to do these things. But this, these are the four biblical things that great families do. This is what moves you from being good to great, average to exceptional. You want to have a great family. Here's four things the Bible teaches us. The first is this. Great families have fun together. It's not just about having a fun life. When you go to school with your friends, teenagers, it's not having fun, mom or dad, when you go to work and you get to hang out with your coworkers or you go out with your, with your friends and, and, and go see a movie or go out to dinner. It's not about having fun playing on the team or the rec league. It's not about having fun out there, although we have to have fun in our individual personal lives. It's about having fun together as a family. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. You might not know this is in the Bible, but this is what he says. I recommend having fun. Oh, thank God. If you don't read the Bible ever, read that. I recommend having fun to experience some happiness along with all the hard work. Because life is hard work, and if you want to have a great family, you're going to have to fight for it. It is a hard, it is a fight, and it is hard work, but you know what? Have some fun along the way. Play games, be involved, go swimming, go to the beach, go to the mountains, go for a hike, do a fire bit and do s'mores, do whatever. Play board games. Go to the park and play catch. Find things, watch movies, eat junk food, 
order pizza, have some fun. Everything's so serious. We're, we're constantly on the go. We're busy. We have this and that, and, and we want our kids to be successful. But fun is so important. Laughter is critical. Experts have dis- determined years ago that laughter and fun and play are uh, critically important to the development of a preschooler. So when you see kids at recess, it's not just about getting their energy out. They are learning when they're playing. We continue to learn when we play. Recess, playing, laughing, doing things together is, is probably as important, if not more important, than academic study because you're learning when you're playing. So have fun together. Find things to do together. Now, part of that means that you need to learn to have fun every day. See, so many of us say, well, I'll have fun when? I'll have fun when we buy a house. I'll have fun when we get out of debt. I'll have fun when I get to this promotion, when I get this pay raise. I'll have fun when? But you have to realize God wants you to have fun now, today, every day, not just on the weekend, not just when you go away on family vacation. Oh, we'll have fun. We'll take a picture. Look, we're so happy. And then the rest of the year, you're miserable. I want you to have fun every day. Enjoy life. It is hard work, but have fun. Be engaged. So what you need to learn is this. If you want to have a great family, have fun. Stop waiting to enjoy your family when and begin to enjoy them now because you don't know when you won't have your family around. You don't know. None of us know. But even if everyone lives to a ripe old age, at some point your family, your immediate family, isn't going to be there. So enjoy them now when you're all together. Don't say one day when. We'll have fun. I tried to do this with my kids. I can't say I was always successful, but I tried to have fun. We made pillow forts. We made obstacle courses. We ran. There was times I would let them stay up late and eat junk food. Now, listen, you can't do that all the time. I would have let them. My wife, Jamie, would pull me aside and say, baby, they need sleep and they need a thing called a vegetable. I I said, surely a Dorito at one point was a vegetable. (laughs) So it didn't make her a wet blanket. See, some of you are the funmeisters. Oh, we're always going to have fun. You know, stop being a wet blanket. No, 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 no. Funmeisters and people who say we need to have some, uh, you know, practical realities, like we want them to brush their teeth. Uh, You need both. So honor your spouse. If one of you wants to have fun, the other one give a little bit. Hey, let's have fun. If the other one says, whoa, 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 you know, ice cream five days in a row and nothing else makes a bad diet. Okay, listen to the voice of that person. But have fun together. Laugh, play, do those things together. It will, it's what's missing from so many families. So many families are just serious all the time. So laugh, have fun. Next thing great families do. Great families learn together. Learn together. Listen, one of the amazing things that that I didn't realize as a child growing up, I didn't realize really until probably the last five years or so. I had my first child when I was 20 years old. Two of my children are older than I was when they were born. And I realized looking at them when they were 20, oh my gosh, I was a dad at 20. I grew up raising my kids as they grew up. 
So we're all learning and growing. Your parents, listen, teenagers, your parents really don't know everything. I know they tell you they do, and believe me, I tell my kids I do. But they don't. God knows everything. We're learning and growing as parents. We're learning and growing as children. We're learning and growing as brothers and sisters. We're learning and growing as husbands and wives, as individuals. Life is always about learning. Learn together. Learn together. Study God's word, pray together, learn new skills, learn new hobbies, new, do, uh, do new things. Learn together. Here's what it says in the book of Deuteronomy. Repeat them. Now, this is talking about God's word, his statutes, his laws, but it's, it, it's beyond that. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. It's always about learning. It's learning God's word, but it's learning in general in life. We're always meant to be learning. When you stop learning, you stop growing. When you stop growing, you stop having a great family. So learn. Learn. Learn from each other. Mom and dad actually do know some things. They just don't know everything. And you know what, mom and dad? Your kids know some stuff. They might not know as much as you, but they know some stuff. Learn from each other. Be willing to listen. Get into conversations. Now, I don't want to belabor this, but this is critically important. There are four things you're going to learn in your family. You're going to learn these in your family. It doesn't matter if you have a great family, a good family, or, you know, the family that rose up from the pit. It doesn't matter. You're going to learn these things. But in great families, you'll learn them the proper way. Here's the four things that families learn together. How to process emotions. How to process emotions. Great families make it okay to feel emotions. We're all going to feel emotions. Negative families, oh, don't, don't do that. You know, one of the worst things a parent can say, stop crying. Don't cry. You know what you're saying when you say that? Stuff your emotions, deny how you feel. There's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing wrong with tears. Now, if they're being spoiled, if they're just you know, throwing a fit, you need to say, now you need to stop. You need to, what's happened? Let's talk about this. But let them process their emotions. Identify them, name them. Why are they feeling that? And teach them and each other, how do I process my emotions properly, positively, in a healthy way? Some of you, listen, one of the biggest issues I face when I do counseling with, marriage, uh, with married couples is that one or the other was raised in a family and what they learned was to deny their emotions, to stuff their emotions, and they couldn't express their emotions. So if you were raised in that environment, I am so sorry. I can't put you in a time machine and send you back and redo it. But you can learn now in your family, hey, dad wasn't always good at this, but I'm learning. Mom wasn't always good at this but I want, to, I want to be. See, if you don't learn how to process your emotions properly, then what happens is you shut down, you become distant, and it keeps you from having a great family. Another thing that you need to learn together is this. Learn how to deal with conflict. We're all gonna face conflict in life. Conflict with mom, dad, brother, sister, husband, wife, aunt, uncle, uh, cousins, coworkers, classmates, teammates, neighbors. The list goes on and on. We're all gonna face conflict in life, conflict is inevitable, but we need to learn how to handle conflict, to deal with conflict in a proper way. And you learn that at home. You're supposed to learn that at home. If you don't know how to handle, if you don't learn how to handle conflict in a productive way, in a healthy way, where you can uh, express how you're feeling, you can, you can share what's frustrating to you, you can uh, work through different personalities and preferences and, and, and things that likes and dislikes and and approaches to life, you can work through all that stuff. If you don't know how to handle that, then there's one of three things that's going to happen when conflict arises. 
You'll either be a mute, you'll be a maniac, or you'll be a martyr. You'll be a mute, a maniac, or a martyr. By a mute, you just turn it. A maniac, you just start yelling and screaming, mom's lost her mind, dad's angry again. Or you're a martyr, oh, it's just, you don't understand. I'm always the bad one. It's my mistake again. I guess it's all my fault. The whole reason that the gas prices are what they are, it's my fault. No, it's Biden's. Um, no. Um. Uh. So, uh, no, we, we, you could be a maniac, a mute, or a martyr. And, and at some point, we have to say, I don't want to be, I don't want to be those things. I want to handle conflict properly. So you learn how to discuss. You learn how to, you know, interject some thoughts and feelings into a conversation. The next thing we learn together is this how to handle loss. Loss is part of life. It is one of the most detrimental things you can do to your child to always let them win. Loss won't kill them. Loss happens. There's big losses and small losses. You lose a job. You lose a game. You lose um, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You lose a pet. You lose a grandparent. Learn how to process loss. Learn that, hey, this hurts. I don't like this. I don't like the way it feels. Okay, let's talk about the loss. Let's, let's process it. Don't shelter them from it. Listen, a child who gets cut from the team doesn't need dad to go in and have a talk with the coach. You know how good my son is? No, he's not that good or he would have been on the team. You're delusional, dad. Your, your, your daughter doesn't make the, the, the drama team. She doesn't get a part in the play and mom has to swoop in. What do you mean my daughter didn't make the drama team? Listen, it won't be the end of their life. Let them deal with loss. If a pet dies, let them cry. Make an issue about it in a good way. Let's, let's bury the, 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 the pet. Let's, let's talk about how, you, how that's impacting you and how you're feeling. Don't shelter them from loss. When a grandparent dies, when an aunt and uncle dies, bring them to the funeral. You yourself go to the funeral. We want to sanitize everything and shelter. Listen, loss is part of life. Nobody wins all the time. Nobody wins all the time. So teach them how to handle loss. It's so critically important. And then the last thing you need to learn together is how to determine values. The world will tell you that what matters most, significance is all external. How you look, success, getting, uh, being an influencer, having followers. It's all external. It's not about character. It's not about sacrifice. It's not about service. It's not about surrender. It's all about the externals. And so you as a family need to say, how do we realize and understand what it is that matters most to God? What are his values? And how do we determine in our family how to live out godly values? So what are some godly values? I'm glad you asked. Micah says this, the Lord has told you what he wants, and this is all it is to be fair, to be just, to be merciful, and to walk humbly with your God. To be fair, just, merciful, have humility. Those are the things that ought to be values that are represented in our family. Not success, not winning at any cost, not being outwardly attractive. Those things come and go. But godly values, we need to learn those together. Now, how do we learn those things? We learn by example, and we learn through conversation. People will learn best by what you do, not just what you say. 
So you want your kids to represent godly values? You need to live by godly values. Dads, that means what you do in front of them and what you do when nobody's looking. But they don't know what's on my phone. Believe me, it leaks. It gets out there. Nobody knows what I'm doing when I'm not home and I'm stopping by the bar. Believe me, it impacts people. So if you want to model those things by example, but you also need to have conversations. This is talk about it over and over and over again when you're coming, when you're going, when you're going to bed, when you're walking down the road, when you're at home, when you're uh, getting up in the morning. Talk, have conversations, learn together. The third thing that great families do is this. Great families care for each other. Galatians tells us, Paul's writing, and he says, help each other in troubles and problems. This is the law Christ asks us to obey. Help each other in troubles and problems. Sometimes children are facing troubles. Sometimes mom or dad are facing problems. Help each other. Care for one another. Say, hey, you're important to me. What's going on? How do we help you? Because change in life is a huge source of troubles and problems, a new class, a new job, going to a new grade, a child going off to college, someone getting married, someone getting divorced, becoming empty nesters, having a new baby. All those things can bring problems and troubles. Care for one another. Help them. Rally around each other. Make them know that no matter what, we're here for you. We're here for you. Even if the problems and troubles are self-inflicted, hey, we're not going to reject you. We're going to accept you. Family members feel cared for when they feel accepted, when they know they're accepted. I remember many conversations with my kids when they were going through their teenage years. Something would happen. A friend would, would say something harsh or critical, be in their room upset, and my wife would go in. She'd start talking. I'd hear a conversation happening, and I'd follow in little brother, older sister, little sister, whoever. After about a half hour, you would walk by. You'd say, what a peculiar little family. You got five people all sitting on the bedroom floor just having this conversation. But what we're doing is saying you matter. If everyone else rejects you, we'll accept you. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be upset. We're just here pouring in, showing care for each other. So make sure that your family feels accepted. But they don't, they're not like us. They're, you know, they're, the, they're the odd one in the group. Make sure they feel accepted. But they, they are a little bit different. Let, make sure they, they know they're accepted. That's what great families do. Another part of, uh, of care is protecting. Families are meant to provide protection, not just provision. Most families in America are pretty good at doing provision. We give them money, we give them transportation, we buy them uh, laptops and cell phones, game councils. We give them every provision known under the sun, but what we don't provide is protection. What I mean by that is thinking in, uh, outside the family. A bar, a bar is required by law to protect its patron from getting in a car and, do, and driving while intoxicated if they provided them alcohol. That's their, that's their requirement. How much more should families say, you know what, if we're providing them all these things and we're not protecting what's going into their minds, into their eyes, into their thoughts, into their spirits, shame, shame. Parents, if you don't know what's on your kid's cell phone, find out. And your kid's going to have a fit. I don't care. If you're paying the bill, you talk to them. I don't pay the bill. They live in my house. Yep, you're paying the bill. 
but, but the, the, their father does, their stepmother does. They pay it on, are they living in your house? Yep, you're paying the bill. Whether you're paying the bill for the cell phone or not, you're paying for the air in the house, you're paying for the heat, you're paying for the food, you're paying for the space, you're paying for that cell phone, you have every right to know what's going on. Protect them, not in a mean way, not, you must do it. Hey, let's talk, remember, it's conversations. Let's talk. I want to protect you. I want what's best for you. It's not about invading their privacy. It's about saying, I want you to be safe. You've got a whole life in front of you. And I don't want you derailed because of what happens at 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. I have counseled with people in their 50s and 60s. And for 40 years, they've been trying to uh, unwind from the stuff that happened to them as teenagers. Protect each other. But part of care isn't just parents to children. Part of care sometimes is children to parents, to aunts, to uncles. See, there's times the roles reverse. There's times when we need to care for those that have come before us. In Proverbs, it says this, do not neglect your mother when she grows old. There is no such thing as saying, I can just set someone aside there's no such, there, biblically, there's no such thing. There's no, there's no justification for kind of setting someone aside, for forgetting about them, for neglecting them because they are, uh, they are no longer useful. They've out, they're no longer a productive member of society. God sees and every life matters to him. Every life. So make sure that you say, hey, I'm not just gonna care for my children, but kids, listen to me. One day you may need to wipe mom and dad's nose. You may need to make a place for them in your house. That's your responsibility in God's eyes. Do not neglect your mother, your father, your grandparents when they grow old. Some of you are here and you're getting to be that age. And you say, Pastor, I don't have anyone in my life. They've all neglected me. My kids have neglected me. What am I to do? That's why you have a church family. Let us know. We'll be here for you. We'll help you. We'll rally around you. I remember uh, about five or six years ago, I was having a conversation with my stepfather, and we would joke about everything. And so when, when he would have a serious conversation, it was kind of like when E.F. Hutton talks, you listen. Um, and so he said, I need to talk to you about something. I said, sure. He said, I just need to say this. I, I know it's probably unnecessary, but I need to tell you this. I said, what? He said, if something ever happens to me, Promise me that you'll take care of your mother. I said, of, of course, absolutely. Unbeknownst to him or me or anyone else at the time, uh, about three years later, he died unexpectedly. And that's a responsibility that I have gladly, not just me, but my brother and my sister, we have gladly accepted. Why? Because that's what families do. So take that responsibility to care for one another. And the last thing, if you want to have a great family, great families serve God by serving others. You serve God by serving others. Teach your children how to be hospitable. Open up your home to people. Uh, give of yourself. Give of your time, your resources, your expertise. Serve others. People want to ask me all the time, how do I serve God? By serving others. That's how you serve God. That's how you serve God, whether it's serving God by serving others on a Sunday morning in children's ministry or on the worship team or on the tech team, whether it's serving God by saying, hey, let me help you with this, that, 
or the other. Let me help you repair your car. Let me make a meal for you. That's how we serve God, by serving others. In Hebrews, it tells us this. Let us think about each other and help each other to show love and to do good deeds. Help each other to do good deeds. That's what great families do. Hey, how do I help you? How do we do this together? How do we serve? I am so thankful for the people in my life that have, uh, have helped me, that have given to me, that have ministered to me, that have served me, that have provided for me, that have helped me. And I've tried to instill that into my kids over and over and over again. Now, some of you, listen to me. There is nothing greater than you can do for your children than to model what it means to serve God by serving others. But some of you, listen, some of you need to ratchet it up. See, you need to be having conversations about radical generosity. I mean, like, God has blessed you. He's blessed you in incredible ways, and he just keeps pouring more and more into your lap, and you know what you do, and you keep gathering more and more to yourself. But you know what? God wants to have a conversation as a family. What would radical generosity look like? Some of you can buy a car from some, for someone, and I don't mean a beater. I mean, like, you could go out right now today, write the check for a brand new car. That's radical generosity. Some of you could finance a home for somebody. Some of you can send that family on a dream vacation. But you say, well, but, but pastor, we might need it one day. You're right, you might. You might. But I tell you this, it's more blessed to give than receive. You want to have a great family, you start serving like that. You say, hey, we're going to do this for this family. I'm telling you, that brings a family together like nothing else. And yes, you might need it one day, but you also might not. So here's what I want to impress upon you. Do not, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not miss an opportunity to meet a need that actually exists because of a need that might never exist. I might need it one day, but you might not. But here's a need right in front of you. This single mom who needs a new car, but I might need something one day. Okay, but she needs something today. Well, you know, here's this young couple starting out. They barely have enough money. You could buy their groceries for a year, even at the cost of inflation. You could pay for their groceries, but I might need it one day, but they need to eat today. Here's this family that's been struggling for years and they're together and they love each other and they love their kids and they serve in the church and they're involved and they're, they're wonderful people. But man, financially, they're just, you know, in a difficult place. You could say, I want to send your family to Disney World. You could swipe the card and pay off the balance and not blink. But I might need it one day. You might. But man, what would that do for them today? If you want to have a great family, you have to begin to say, we want to laugh, have fun together, learn together. We want to grow together and care for each other. And we want to serve God by serving others together. But here's the thing, as I started with, I told you, if you want to have a great family, you have to fight for it because great families don't happen by mistake. They are, in they are intentional. They require time. They require investment. It requires a choice. Will I choose to have a great family. So here's my challenge for you. I was going to ask you right where you are just to think about this. Here's my challenge today, this day, right now, today. Will you make the choice to say, I'm going to begin to take the steps to put in place the things that are necessary to move my family from good to great, from average to great, from mediocre to awesome? Are you going to make that choice? Because it is a choice. It's always a choice. Begin to find ways to laugh. Begin to find ways 
to learn. We can find ways to care for each other more deeply and find ways to serve God by serving others together. I want to end with this verse. In Joshua, it says this, Choose today whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's your choice, but you'll never have a great family until you make that choice. So if you'll close your eyes and bow your heads, if you're here and you're part of a family, you may be here by yourself, wife's downstairs, your husband's teaching the kids. You may be here by yourself because everyone's slept in, is at home. You may be here with your wife, your husband, your kids are downstairs. But if you're here and you say, I want this, I want this, I want to choose to have a great family. I want to fight for a great family. If that's you, then right where you are, just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet and say, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. I want a great family. I want a great family. I'm tired of average. I'm tired of mediocre. I want a great family that leaves a great legacy. In the Bible, in the book of Acts, it says about Cornelius, his family loved the Lord. They prayed together and served others. What an amazing legacy. Don't you want that to be said about you, that you have that kind of family? So if that's you, right where you are, I'm just going to pray. Then we're going to sing a song. When this first song is done, I'm going to, we may go a little long, but this is, I'm going to give you some direction here in just a moment. But let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness. God, I thank you for your word that's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide our thoughts and our intentions. God, I'm praying right now that your word would move. If our thoughts are, I'm standing up because I want to look good, but our intention is not to do the effort, to not fight the fight, not to put the work in and not to really make this choice, then God, make that clear, that it's just a sham, it's pretense. But God, if our intention is pure, if our heart is there, if our desire is lined up with our action, then God, I'm praying that you would honor this choice right now. Oh God, choose this day whom you will serve. And all those that stood to their feet said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if you're here with your family, just grab each other's hand. Just grab each other's hand. If you're not, that's okay. God, I pray for every family that's represented here. And God, I'm asking, I'm asking that your grace would move, that your Holy Spirit would impress these things upon our heart. God, that we would learn to laugh and have fun and play together. God, that it would be such an important part of our families. God, I'm praying that we would be willing to learn together. Oh God, how to handle our emotions, how to deal with conflict. God, that we would learn how to process losses. And God, that we would learn how to instill godly values into our family. God, I'm praying that we would learn to care for each other in deep, meaningful ways, making sure everyone feels accepted, not rejected, that they feel important, that they feel heard. God, that even when we're aged, you'll still be careful because we have a family that loves us. We have a great family. And God, above all else, I pray that these families would serve you by serving others together in meaningful ways, deep ways, impactful ways, that they wouldn't hold on to what they have because they might need it. But God, they would see a need and they would say, I can meet that. Oh God, you've blessed me. 
you sent me on this mission of life. It's not about me. It's about others. It's not about us. It's about them. God, make our lives count. Make our families great. In Jesus' name I pray.